Well, we're in the book of John, uh, the Gospel of John. We're, we're in chapter 1, and, and I want to kind of remind you of, uh, of who John is. Remember, we, when we just came through the Christmas story, and we spent a whole Sunday on John and the fact that, that God used him before Jesus was even conceived God came to Elizabeth and Zacharias, gave them a child. She couldn't have babies, but she had John. And it said that John was given the Holy Spirit in the womb. And that was evidenced when Mary came. She had just been, the Holy Spirit had been upon her, and she, was, she was, had the baby Jesus still in embryo state. And she went to visit her cousin. And it says that John did what? He did flip-flops. He, he, he gave mommy the rumbly-tumbly. You know, she's six months pregnant, Elizabeth. And he jumped in her womb. And, and she said, you're here with child. And it is Jesus. It's the Messiah. Even in the womb, he was the foreteller. And it's kind of interesting with John the Baptist is uh, he's a lot like Jesus. Now, we only see Jesus from, the, from his birth until he, his start of his ministry one time at 12 years old in the temple. We don't even get to see John at all because in Luke 1.80 it says, And the child continued to grow and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. John just disappears out in the deserts. Now you would think somebody who was, Isaiah talked about him. He's going to be the forerunner. He's going to be the one. You would think he would have been in the temple going to school, become a rabbi so that he knew every Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. But no. Where's he go? He goes out in the desert and the Holy Spirit speaks to him. And he is trained by the Holy Spirit. And in Mark 1, it talks about him this way. And John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sin. And of all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals." I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was an interesting guy. I mean, he wasn't the guy in the three-piece suit in the temple. He was out in the deserts. He was down at the river saying, you guys need to get yourself right. You need to confess your sins. That wasn't something that a lot of people like to hear. I mean, we don't like to be convicted of our sins. But that was John. 
That was John the Baptist as he was preparing the way of the Lord for Jesus. And that's where we are when we come to John 1 in verse 19. John 1, verse 19, and I'm just going to read a couple verses here. And this is a testimony of John. When the Jews sent him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. And then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What can we, what do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. John the Baptist was different. He wasn't like anybody they'd seen. You know, can you imagine this guy running around out in the desert? He's got his, this camel hair. I don't know what camel hair looks like, but it must have been odd. I don't know. It sounds like kind of itchy to me. But he's running around out in the desert. He's, he's eating locusts and wild honey. He, he took the Nazarite vow. Do you remember what that means? A guy by the name of Samson took the Nazarite vow. Two things. What did they do? Didn't cut their hair, and they didn't drink wine. Can you imagine what he looked like running around, had you know, long hair, blowing in the wind, out there? Pretty, most of us would probably say, "I'm not going out there." That guy's weird, but he was different. He didn't come through the way of the prophets, or the way of the priests, or the or the Pharisees. And so they were all, the, the Pharisees were kind of like, going, we need to figure out who this guy is. Because, you know, there's all these prophecies back here in the Old Testament that, said, that says there's a Messiah that's on his way. And that Messiah is going to be different. And so they sent the guys out, they sent the priests and the Levites out, you go find out who this guy is. And the first question he, they ask him, all he says, who are you? And that's an implied question. What they're asking him is, are you the Messiah? That's the first question they ask. Who are you? Because they're thinking this is the Messiah. They, and he replies with them, uh, are, I am not the Christ. Now, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. He says, I'm not the Messiah, was his first answer. So then they ask him another question. Are you Elijah? Now why would they ask him, why are you Elijah? It comes from a prophecy in Malachi. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Are you Elijah? Are you the one 
are you the one that's going to usher in the great and terrible day of the Lord? Now, was that his job? No, the great and terrible day of the Lord is yet to come. He was introducing the Messiah to the world. And he says, I'm not Elijah. Not me. So then they ask one more question. Are you the prophet? Well, that comes from Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. That's from Moses. Moses said, God's going to send a prophet. So they're asking him, are you the prophet? And he says, nope. And so they're like, oh, well, who, who are you? And he quotes to them Isaiah 40. I am a voice calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our Lord. And where did John have his ministry? In the desert. Down by the Jordan. People were coming. All kinds of people came. A guy by the name of Andrew came and hung out with John the Baptist. He's going to play a pretty important part coming up. Even Jesus went down to see what John was up to. John the Baptist was, was down there and Jesus came to him. Well, let's look at the next couple verses. Verses 24 through 34. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing? If you are not the Christ, you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And John answered them and saying, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me. And the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who is higher ranked than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifest to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Now remember what John, uh, John is writing the gospel. He is talking about the deity of Jesus. That's his goal. He's showing us that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And the first 
part of this, he identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God. Now, I want you to understand how important this is. We could go all the way back to Genesis, and what was Abel's sacrifice? It was a lamb. The first sacrifice that was accepted by God was a lamb. Then we could come up to the book of Exodus, and we come to the Passover, remember? God said, I'm going to send the death angel and the firstborn of every household in all of Egypt is going to die. And he told the Jewish people to sacrifice what? A lamb. And he said, take the blood of that lamb and you're going to, you're going to put it over the, uh, on the side posts and the lintel of your doorways. And if you put that over, the death angel will pass over. And it became... It became a symbol that they would celebrate every year at Passover. They would sacrifice the lamb. And then we get into into Leviticus and Deuteronomy and we see the whole temple worship and lamb, the sacrificial lamb was vitally important within that. And then we come to Isaiah He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that was silent before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. And what was the fulfillment of this lamb? That's the crucifixion, isn't it? They say this is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Jesus as he stood before Pilate and he said, aren't you going to defend yourself? He said, Pilate, you don't have any power in this at all. My heavenly father has already said what's going to happen. And he stood there, didn't make a defense. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He identified him as the Lamb Well, the interesting piece about this, did you notice that when he talked about the baptism of Jesus, he used the past tense? This doesn't, the the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist is not in the book of John. Now, why would that be? Remember, John is filling in the blanks. The writer is filling, the, the apostle John is filling in the blanks. We can go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we will see the baptism of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, he talks about it this way. And then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to to John to be baptized by him. Now, what was John baptizing for? Forgiveness of sin. Did Jesus need it? Nope. He was doing it to set an example. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people who kind of get hung up with, well, you know, I was, I was sprinkled or I was whatever at some point in time. And, and the, they say, do I really need to be baptized? Well, I think if Jesus set the example, that's pretty good, that's pretty good reason to be baptized. 
Because he came down, he says, he needed to be baptized. But John tried to prevent him. I have need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? But Jesus answered and said, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he permitted him. He had to beg John to be baptized. And, and, and Jesus said, let's do this together. Notice that? It is fitting for us. Have you ever joined in with Jesus to do something great? Jesus knew what was going to happen. He said, he said, John, just do this for me and watch what happens. I, I get, you know, when, when you join in with what God's doing, and God says, hey, I want you to just join in with it. You don't have to know what the outcome's going to be. You just join in with me. Well, look what happens. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine what kind of baptism service that was? The Holy Spirit comes down. The Lord speaks. And when the Lord speaks, we better be listening, right? You see, the deity of Jesus was verified that day by both the Father and the Holy Spirit. That day, the deity, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I imagine that echoed through the canyons of the Jordan River for everyone to hear. He's here. His ministry has started. He has the blessing of of the Father. He has the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And he comes out of the water. And when we go back into the book of John, that's already taken place. And he says what? In verse 34, And I myself have seen and have testified that this is who? The Son of God. John says, I was there. John the Baptist is, is looking up and saying, this is the one. Who's he answering? The Pharisees. Don't look at me. I'm the one giving the voice in the wilderness. The one that's coming after is the one you want to look for. And what did he say to them? He said, he walks among you. He said, you didn't even realize that he was, in verse 26, and John answered them, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. You ever have somebody say, you wouldn't know them if they stood right in front of you. That's kind of what he's saying to them. He's here. You guys totally have missed the boat. 
Well, let's move on and look at 35 through 39. And we're going to see not only did the Father and the Son, the Father and the Holy Spirit verify who Jesus was, not only did John the Baptist verify who Jesus was, but I want you to look what happens when he starts walking among the people around him. On verse, in verse 35, again the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and then followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. You know, it's uh, sometimes it can be a bit of a challenge when you're following Christ because sometimes our personalities get in the way. You see, John the Baptist had all kinds of disciples. And when Jesus came along, he told his disciples, there is the Lamb of God. There's the one I've been talking about. You don't need to be my disciples anymore. Go to that one. Not very many people do that. But that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to follow him. He doesn't call us to follow a church. He really doesn't. He, you know, we can say, oh, this is my Bible study. It's not your Bible study. It's God's Bible study. We can get so, so ingrained, and this is, this is our church, that we forget that this is God's church, and not just this fellowship. You know, there, I get phone calls on occasion, and they'll say, oh, you know, I have somebody that's coming, and uh, one particular one that, that comes to mind recently is a, a single mom. What kind of ministries do you have for a single mom? And I'm like going, I'm sorry, we, we don't have much for a single mom. But I said, I'm going to give you the number for a church that does. And, and people look at me like, are you an idiot? You're turning people away? I said, no, I'm turning people to the place that can best serve them. Now, now, what does that do for me? It inspires me to say, you need to get working to get a ministry for single moms. Because as the body of Christ, should that be part of who we are? Should we be representative of everybody that walks in the door? Absolutely. So that's just impetus for me to say, you know what? The next time somebody calls, I need to be able to say, yeah, come on down. We have a ministry to single moms. Now that may take a while. But, but we need to be able to say, point them to Bible-believing churches. We're not the only one in town. Matter of fact, we have, uh, we're, we're looking at this fall having a day of hope for all the city of Albany. Uh, how many of you remember the Willamette Festival we had? That was, what, 10, 12 years ago? Went out to Timberland Park. 
Thousands of people came. Thousands of people were ministered to. All kinds of churches from all over Albany got together to sponsor that. That's really the church, isn't it? Because when we get so, when we get our blinders on that say we're the only ones that can do something, we're going to miss a whole lot of people. And so this, this fall, we're going to have the Day of Hope. And we're going to be part of it. And we're going to be reaching out to our community. But what did John, when, when John said, there he is, what did Jesus say? When they said, where are you staying? He said, what? Come and see. Come and see. That's an invitation. He didn't say, come and hear. Right? You 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 need to come hear our pastor. No. You need to come see the body of Christ at work together, loving one another, loving our community, loving the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and what? Loving our neighbors as ourselves. See, when people walk through this door and they're hurting, we need to just surround them in love. And say, you know what? I can see you're hurting. Let me, let, what can I do for you? How can I pray for you? How can I come around you? I love to see that happening in the church. And, it, and when that happens, people say, wow. Come and see. And not only did they come and see said so they stayed with him. They stayed with him. We are a society that we get offended real easy anymore. And, and people will come to a church and they'll say, oh, I, I don't like what somebody said to me. I don't like what the pastor said. I don't like the music. I don't, and and the, so they go someplace else. And they're there for a little while and I can pretty much tell you what's going to happen. They're going to get offended by what somebody said or the music or something else and they're going to go someplace else. And, and God didn't call us to that kind of ministry. God called us to be what? He called us to be perseverant. He called us to be together in community. See, God, this is not a random selection. You go, what church am I going to go to? God says, I need you in this church because you have this gift. And this body of believers needs that particular gift. And every one of you has a gift. You're not here by accident. You're not here by the luck of the draw. You're here because God has drawn you here to minister together as the body of Christ. And they stayed with him. And I think if you're looking for the perfect church, you're not going to find it. Right? Because there is no perfect church. There is no perfect pastor. There is, there, if, if that's what you're looking for, you're going to keep looking and looking and looking. Because God uses broken people that he's mended to do his work. They stayed with him. Well, I want this next part is kind of exciting. Verses 40 through 51. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. So remember all the way back back where it said two of the disciples that were following John 
were pointed to Jesus. One of those was Andrew. Andrew was a seeker. He was a follower of John the Baptist. And John said, no, don't look at me. You follow Jesus. And, then, and so we come, to, um, we come to verse 40. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and it said, you are Simon, the son of John, but you will now be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, which means rock, little rock. He wasn't the rock, right? He's the little rock. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, which is the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who, from, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Am I going to follow some, Naz some guy from Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Philip said to him, What? Come and see. He didn't say, Come and hear. He said, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael, excuse me, uh, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you that you will see the heavens open and the angels of God descending, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Do you see what happens when you point people to Jesus? Do you see what happens when it says, come and see? Andrew brought who? His brother, Peter. Andrew had been a seeker. Peter wasn't. Matter of fact, when you see, if you go into the other Gospels and you see Peter, he's out fishing in a boat when Jesus calls him. He was not a seeker, but Andrew was. And Andrew stayed with Jesus. And then he said, Peter, Peter, you've got to come see this guy. He's the Messiah. Okay, calm down. I'll go. And, and so, so Andrew called Peter. Now this is kind of interesting. you got to... You got to put a little comma here because remember, 
John doesn't fill in a lot of things that people already know, right? Because guess who John and Peter were? Or Andrew and Peter. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. He's just called Peter and Andrew. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, writer of the gospel, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their, and their father and followed him. Now Luke 5 tells us another interesting little piece of this story. In Luke 5.10, it says that Peter and John, or Peter and Andrew and James and John were partners in the business. They fished together. See what's going on? Peter and James, or Peter, goodness sakes, we got way too many characters going on. Peter and Andrew come back from seeing Jesus. And they said, listen guys, they're out, they're out casting their nets. You guys, you know, you ever seen a new believer like that? You guys, you've got to come see this guy. He's the Messiah. Okay, okay, yeah, right? But James and John, they're, they're really, their interest is really peaked at, at what, what's going on here. Because Bethsaida is a very little fishing village. It's like living in Waterloo. Right? Everybody knows your business. Everybody knows who you are. So Peter and James, this, this Jesus guy has been kind of, he's been preaching out here in the outskirts. And he wanders into Bethsaida and, and Andrew comes to, is the first one and then Peter and they're all excited because you know how excited Peter can get. And that's all they can talk about out in the boat. And then, and then here comes this Jesus walking down the beach and, and he looks at James and John and he says, come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And so what did they do? Immediately, they left their boat and they left their father and followed him. Is that commitment? You know, out of the, out of the frying, frying pan into the fire? I mean, that is... That's total commitment. Because they were going to inherit daddy's fishing business. And all of a sudden, that's, where are you boys going? Now I got to go hire people to fish for me? They left. And then it says that he found Philip. Well, remember where they live. They live in Bethsaida. Little fishing village. Philip absolutely knew the fisher guys, Right? He knew Andrew and Peter. He knew James and John. He knew them all. And Jesus comes along and he calls Philip. And then what does Philip do? He brought Nathaniel. Nathaniel, come on. And Nathaniel's one of those guys. Today we would call him what? A bigot. What good can come from Nazareth? 
Nazareth is only about 12 to 15 miles away. You don't go to Nazareth, you know, you don't date girls from Nazareth. No. You don't go hang out in Nazareth. That's where all the bad guys are. You know, growing up it was for, for Lebanon. You didn't go hang out in Sweet Home. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Is anybody here from Sweet Home? Uh, yeah, I got a hand up. Sorry, Abilene. But we didn't. You know, that was, that, you know, nothing good could come from Sweet Home. That was Nathaniel. God calls him. And then God calls, calls these guys together. Come on, come follow me. Well, I want you to notice something. Jesus sought out some of them. But most of them were brought to him by friends and family. You know, Jesus, Jesus, there are times when Jesus looks and he, he is drawing people. He, you know, they, they may not have anybody else to tell them about Jesus. And, and Jesus just shows up. I remember driving, we had a driver when I was in uh, Uganda and Sudan. His name was Ojok, was, that was his name. And Ojok was from a village. He was the son of an imam, the village Muslim priest. And Ojok said, I, I was in so much darkness. I, was, I should have been the next priest, the next imam for our village. But there was something inside of me that was unsettled. And one night I had a dream. And in this dream, God told me to go to this village that was about 20 miles away. He said, you're going to look for a white man in this village. And Ojo got up the next morning and he traveled the 20 miles. Didn't know anybody in the village. I mean, we're talking about you're out in the African jungle where where, where people a lot of times never even left their village. And Ojok walked into the village and knocked on the first door. And who lived at the first door? The missionary, a white man, that had come to that village. And he sat down with him. And he said, I know why you're here. God sent you here because he has a gift for you. And he brought Ojok to the Lord. You see, there wasn't families or friends for Ojok to go to, to be brought to Jesus. But when Ojok came to Christ, he went back to his village. What do you think the reception was? <laughs> oh, yay! His father disowned him. Kicked him out of his house said, you're no longer welcome here. But you know what Ojok did? He just started telling people about, you got to come see. And he would bring him to this missionary 20 miles away. Because Ojok really didn't understand how to share the gospel. All he knew is that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And in all of it, he would bring people. And he would bring them to the missionary. And the missionary would win them to Christ until one day, God began to work in that village in such a mighty way that the Amun, 
Ojok's father walked 20 miles to see the, the missionary, and he came to Christ. You see, sometimes God brings people in that don't have anybody to bring them, but then he puts the responsibility into our hands and says, it's your job. You bring them, and I'll save them. You see, that's our job. That's why when we talk about loving your neighbors as yourself, come and see. Not come and hear. Come and see what God is doing. And when you bring them, part of it that they're seeing is what? Part of what they saw was Ojo went from darkness into light. Ojo went from being somebody who, who hated the world to somebody who loved the world, loved the people around him, wanted them to have the greatest gift of all. You see, that was, John kept pointing where? He kept pointing to Jesus. Andrew took, took Peter and he says, you need to see Jesus. John and, John and, and James We'd say, come see Jesus. Philip, you need to come see Jesus. Nathaniel, you need to come see Jesus. This wasn't a mass thing. This wasn't a great, great revival like we saw, like we were going to see in Acts chapter 1. It wasn't 5,000 at one time. It was one at a time. And it was people that you know. Because the people that you know that don't know Jesus are the ones you can reach. Jesus brought some, but most were brought by friends and family. That's our job. We're going to come to communion. And when John was writing about that last supper, one of the things he said to his disciples He said, the world's going to know you by your love. The world's going to know you by your love. The Father has loved me. I have loved you. And the world needs to see that love. You see, that's, and I know it's it's kind of an old expression, but you're the only Bible some people will read. And everyone was pointing to Jesus. John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. They were all pointing to Jesus. And they were pointing to him as this this Messiah. Somebody that spoke like nobody ever spoke before. Somebody who loved like nobody ever loved before. Somebody who was willing to come down from heaven and empty himself out and become a man. God becoming man. Look who this guy is. I've never heard anybody like him. But what they didn't know was what the end was going to be. We're going to follow a guy that in three years is going to be crucified by the Romans? What kind of victory is that? But what did Jesus say? without the shedding of blood, 
There is no remission of sin. You guys don't understand. I'm going to train you. I'm going to love on you. I'm going to give you everything you need. Because when I leave, it's going to be your job. You're the ones that are going to reach the masses. You're the ones that are going to see thousands saved. It's your job. He said, the way I prepare that is by dying. This is my body which is broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. This is my blood which is shed for the remission of sin. Take and drink. See, that's, God, God has made it all possible. And then he puts it into our hands. And he says, you go into all the world and preach the gospel. Starting where? In your hometown. With your next door neighbor. With the, with the, the lady that, uh, that checks your groceries. In the office that you go to. When you are changed, people see the difference. And they're going to want to know. And he says, I've done the hard work on the cross. Now it's your job. 